0: Go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. Good morning. This is why we gather. And we gather because we join two millennia of church history that declares Jesus is Lord. And what that means when we gather is that we, we come, as difficult sometimes it is as it is, we come together. We uh, rub our eyes, we drink coffee, we get the kids dressed. We show up at this place to reorder our lives around the idea that Jesus is Lord, that his death, burial, and resurrection sent shockwaves throughout history. And that runs smack dab into our little histories. And so we come to be encouraged, we come to be challenged, we come to um, hear an alternative story to how life works. And then we leave, not, you know, just with a little bit of motivation to do things better and not to try harder this week, but we leave with a tethering to a whole bunch of other followers of Jesus throughout history who've chosen to order their lives around Jesus. And that's our hope. That's what we want to be about. Um, And one of the ways we do that is as a family. We do that together. And so for those of you who probably consider this your church home, we want you to feel like you're part of the family which is hard. That's kind of a two-way street, right? You want to get to know people. You want to be known, but it's sometimes awkward and weird. Um, And so we just want you to know we want to connect you to this family. It's going to take a little courage on your end. It's going to take some uh, welcoming on everybody's end. Um, And so to do that, and the best way to do that is um, just put yourself out there. And so one of the things we have going on around the room are these QR codes that are on the wall. And uh, you learned this during COVID because you went to restaurants, Um, but you scan that with your phone, and if you need help, um, I'm sure one of our boomers will help you out. I'm just kidding, boomers. Um, But you scan that, and what it'll do is uh, there's a program for today that will have a little button on there you can press and it 's just uh, connect it 's a connect button um, and in that it 's a simple thing. give us your information if you want to be connected if you want to uh, if you need information, if you want to volunteer for something, if you are are frustrated about what i 'm about to tell you in the sermon, whatever it is. You can, actually, don't do that there. Don't, I'm just kidding. But you can just connect with us that way. One of the ways you can connect, what we love to do is eat together. And um, there's a couple things coming up um, that you can be a part of. One of those is actually right after church today. Uh, Jean Wysocki's opening her house for lunch. And there's a few people who are signed up already. But I I've heard that there's four to six spots left. If you would like to have lunch with, some folks and just get to know them. Um, come talk to us. I'm Gene. You feel like raising your hand? Right? This is Gene, everybody. Come talk to Gene, um, and we would love to, for you to just jump in for lunch. Simple as that. So um, there's going to be more opportunities for that coming up as well. A couple of ways you can get connected and volunteer around here. Um, there's going to be a children's room painting. Uh, event coming up downstairs where one of our rooms is going to get remodeled. Um, If you'd like to be part of demoing a wall or you'd like to be part of painting, um, let us know, let me know, or sign up on that Connect form. Um, There's some youth loft needs, Um, so the the youth are going to be doing some fun stuff up there to make it more their space. Um, You can connect with Jaden on that. Uh, There's a membership lunch coming up the Sunday after the Super Bowl. Um, you can connect with us on that. And last but not least, last week, we had a family meeting. told you we were a family. Last week, we talked about who we are as a community, where we want to go. Um, we also talked about our budget and how that all works. If you have questions about that, our um, finance teams available, our leadership teams available? One of the things that was shared last week was, we are heading into this year. As homeowners, <laughs> and we're learning how to do that, and there is a budget ahead of us that is a little bit higher than what we brought in as far as giving last year. So there's what we call a gap. Now, we've we're going to go ahead um, and and just kind of pay attention to giving and the needs around our church, but. In order to shorten that gap, um, we're encouraging anybody who's a part of this church that isn't a part of giving yet to be a part of it. And it could be as simple as just sign. You can sign up on our website. It's very simple. You can do like a, week, a weekly, monthly, whatever, kind of like a, there it is, like a, uh, there, that's it, a gift, Yeah. And, and if, uh, here's the deal. It wouldn't take, it would just take maybe a few of us that aren't giving yet to jump on board, and that gap might go away. And so we just wanted to encourage you, if you would like to be a part of this family, conti- contribute to the needs of this family. We would love, 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 love that. Okay. Any questions? Connect form. I'm going to pray. We got stuff to talk about. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this family. I, I am so grateful for this community, what it's meant to our family, um, how I've seen this community respond to the needs of the Arvada community. God, I'm so thankful for the things you're doing in our lives, even the things that I see around that are hard. I know you are working. We trust that you are working, that you are transforming us, that you are guiding us and leading us. And so God, I just pray that we have these conversations around scripture, that you would give us um, eyes to see. Maybe you would help us wrestle with Um, our own views right now when it comes to the Bible. And would you draw us further in our apprenticeship to Jesus? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're talking about Scripture. And, you know, what? I look around, not a lot of us bring our Bibles, and that's okay. We're not like, it's not required, Um, we make it easy. We put it on the screen, things like that. But we're going to talk about this a little bit. And the reason is because I think it's a good, nice reset for us to maybe reimagine or reawaken our relationship with the Bible. Now, a couple weeks ago, we started this conversation and I asked you to think about a number in your head, one through 10, where you're at on the, your relationship with the Bible. And um, we had some good discussion around that. People were asking me my number. I'm like, "How dare you?" Um, you know it's a 10. you know? No, there's struggle. I love to study the Bible. I do, so it's a higher number there, but sometimes for my own formation, it's, I struggle. I struggle to make that time and to get into it and, the, and to read it for formation and not for information. So the reason why I want to just do a little bit of setup for today is that, first of all, this format's kind of difficult. This feels lecture format, obviously. It's more of a one-way conversation. But there's so many things that we bring to this, each of us. Frustrations, hurts, wounds, um, deconstructing, things like that. And, um, And I just want to recognize that there are a lot of different backgrounds in the room. There are a lot of different current feelings in the room when it comes to Scripture. And so I want to give you just uh, some space to just chew on things. But I really want our conversation over the next few weeks to reawaken that, that curiosity in you. To approach Scripture maybe fresh. To pick it up again. To let the Spirit of God kind of Meet you in the pages. And we're going to talk about what it is and how to read it. But I just want you to know that there's so much beauty and tension and mystery. There's so much um, story and healing that can come with our interaction with the Bible. John 5 Jesus is talking, and this is something we talked about a couple weeks ago. He says this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So when I read scriptures... When I read the scriptures, I, um, I, for one, have a lot of questions. What is this? <laughs> like, what is the Bible? Why do we have this? Where did it come from? Why read it? Why study it? What is it for? What role does it play in my life? Uh, you know, like, where does it come from? How did we get it? You know, uh, rumor has it we don't have any of the original manuscripts. We have copies. What does that mean? Are there errors? Are there contradictions? You know, like what about these kind of questions? How do I even read this? Like I feel like when I pick it up, I'm like lost. How do I meet with God and using my kind of modern intelligence Do I have to live under some kind of, does this have authority? What does that mean, right? But the big question for today is I want us to wrestle with what is the Bible? And I hope for some of you in the room, you're like, this is like 101. But is it? Because I think a lot of us show up in this place with a lot of different versions of what we think the Bible is and what it's for and how we got it. But are they right? You know, there's, a, there's one way to approach the Bible. Is that it's an, an encyclopedia of truth. You know? So, um, I remember as a kid looking up in the concordance words, that found them that were in the Bible and you could just jump to those pages and you're like, oh, this is what the Bible says about money or whatever. Is it an allegory about me and Jesus, right? Is it like there's a right way to read this and everywhere I'm looking for me and Jesus and what God wants for me. The answer is no, by the way. Or is it like your university professor in Bible as literature class? (laughs) Anybody ever taken a Bible as literature class? Yeah, a few of us? And that version of the Bible is this is no difference. There's no difference between this and the Iliad. It's ancient literature. It's interesting if you want to know what Hebrew men thought about God but doesn't really have, it's not really good for anything else. Or is this something else? Is there something bigger? Because I think if we misunderstand what the Bible is we will turn it into something it's not. And that can be pretty dangerous, really dangerous. So exactly what is this? So here's my attempt. This is going to feel a little bit like, I don't know, like a nerdy lecture. But here's my attempt at a definition of what the Bible is. And it's not really my words. It's a lot of great scholars. Okay? Look up the Bible project. I'm going to throw this up here. The Bible is a library. You're good, Trent. You're good. You're all right. We're going to go to the Bible is the library thing, if you can find it. I can just read it, too. Here we go. The Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human, that together tell a unified story which leads us to Jesus. We're going to pull it apart, phrase by phrase. We're going to start with this one. The Bible is a library of writings. Now, for us, um, technically, technically, this is not a book. But Ryan, it's a book. I know, but technically, it's not a book. Technically, this is a library. The word biblia is the word book. It's a Latin and But the Bible never calls itself, actually, do you know the Bible never calls itself the Bible? I don't, I, just, I know, That's messing with some of you. But it's easy for, to forget that this is a library because it's a book. It's one book. It's in book form. Technically, what that is, is it's a codex. So Bibles, um, let me just say this, ancient writings used to be on scrolls. Then they invented the codex, which basically is a bound book with pages. And I know you guys are like, this is, we're really going this deep, <laughs> but we are because I think it's really important. It was all scrolls, became a codex, became read out loud in gatherings like this. And until Gutenberg and his amazing invention, we weren't able to have our own copies. Now we can. Now there, are obviously, you can have them on your phone, and some of you have little Bibles that you carry around with you, like Jaden's little check chess sack thing. Whatever, what is that? It's a purse. It's a man purse. And you can stick a little Bible in there. You know, I mean, it's handy. It's really handy. Jaden has a lot of cool stuff in there. If you just ask him about it later. Anyhow, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's very important to think of the Bible as a library because it has a huge effect on how we read the Bible. Think about it. Libraries, when you walk into a library, there's different genres of literature in the, in the library. And normally a book has one genre. But this book has many genres in it, and that's very important for us. There's a lot happening downstairs. (laughs) But literally, when you walk into a library, you can find cookbooks and textbooks and novels and memoirs, and each of these you approach differently. For instance, when I'm reading right now a lot of different things, does anybody read a lot of different books at the same time? Okay, I'm not alone. Great. So, I brought a few things to show. Show and tell. Um, so, first of all, I'm reading a lot of books on our Roman series we're going to do starting after the Super Bowl. So, I'm doing all that stuff. I'm reading this history book by Tom Holland, not Spider Man. Uh, it's manned. Did I say manned? I put a D on that. Not Spider Man, Tom Holland, but smart Tom Holland. Um, not that he, never mind. Um, <laughs> Oh, superhero Tom. Okay. So this is basically a history book on Christianity in the Roman world. Really amazing. This is another history book, but it's more on the Christian side. It's just all the different church history, you know, iterations. I'm reading a book by a guy named A.J. Swoboda about wandering in your faith. It's okay. I'm all right. Um, I'm also reading... Oh. Has anybody read the Gray Man series? Mark Greeney, it's all spy stuff and like guns and explosions. Nobody? All right. The 12th book comes out this next month, and I'm so excited. Seriously. Look it up. Don't watch the Netflix movie. It's garbage. It's hot garbage. The books, read those. Guys, read Man, pick up a book. I dare you. Russell's a reader. Anyhow, here we go. Back to this. So there's different, li- there's different genres. I just showed you different genres, but here's the thing. There's every single one of these books, including the Gray Man series, conveys a level of truth to it truth about history, or God, or places, or the human condition, or science, but each one of them does it in a very different way. And because of that, I read each one of them differently. Does that make sense? I don't read the Gray Man series the same way as I read history. I turned this page and I need to turn this page. Problems come when we read the Bible when we don't read the Bible this way, when we don't approach different parts of the Bible as different genres. The scriptures were written over a long period of time with many different authors in three different languages. Different genres in scriptures, apocalyptic, historical, poetry, narrative, memoir, biography, census data. Ooh. Right? Right? genealogical records and letters like what Brad just read. And so because of that, we need to read the Bible, not literally, but literarily. See what I did there? Now, some of you are freaking out right now. So let's just take a second. Notice where the anxiety is inside of you. I'm just kidding. Um, We, many of us, have come from church traditions that um, pound the table and say, we read the Bible literally around here. And what I would just say is, there are places in Scripture that are meant to be read literally. Literally. But if we read all of it at face value, literal face value, we're going to hurt people. And we're going to miss what God's saying. We need to read the Bible according to its genre and according to what the author was trying to get across. A lot of people claim to read the Bible literally, but nobody actually reads all of the Bible literally. Because there's things in there that would be really hard. We read on Thursday, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and there's this passage where Jesus talks about cutting out your eye if it causes you to stumble. And Dana said, we'd all be stubs and blind. (laughs) So there's like, what are we reading? How do we read it? What do we read literally? Well, let's read it all literarily not in the sense of that it's fiction, but in that there's certain genres to it. So now much of the time it's clear. There's some clear stuff in it. Um, but some of the time it's very clear that it's not supposed to be literal. For instance, there's a passage in scripture that talks about the trees of the field will clap their hands. Do you guys... <laughs> you guys... You guys ever heard that before, right? It's this beautiful Hebrew song that talks about not literally like Lord of the Rings, the Ents, right? That's another, that's also fiction. You guys should read that. But it's this beautiful thing that's just, it's another way of saying that when Jesus comes as king, it will be felt on an ecological and cosmic level, like all of creation will burst out in freedom and worship and flourishing as God intended. And the Hebrew writer wrote that the trees will clap their hands. That's just beautiful. Now, you might think, well, that's literally going to happen. That's fine. But I choose to believe that literally, like that's what they're trying, the author's trying to communicate. Other passages, it's not so clear. Paul's famous line, "Jesus coming back on the clouds or in the clouds," um, we can agree to disagree on that one. I don't think that's literal. I think that's and I'm just a metaphor, and it's closely tied to a, a Caesar coming to a colony and people welcoming the Caesar and. We can agree to disagree on that one. It's, it's okay. My point is we need to l- read the scripture literarily and see, and, and so it doesn't create all these unnecessary problems. And, and, and so people don't have to pick between the Bible and science and the Bible and history. You know, it's just like we read, for instance, when we read a fantasy novel like The Lord of the Rings, By the way, if you've seen the movie, good for you. But you've got to read the books. like They're so good. And when you read The Fellowship of the Ring, and say you're reading it by J.R.R. Tolkien, say you're reading it and you get halfway through and you're like, wait a second. Hobbits aren't real? I've been duped. Right? Like, that's not shattering to you, right? Why? Because you know it's not a history book. But here's the thing. That doesn't mean it's not true. And you're like, what are you saying, Ryan? You're saying hobbits are real? No. (laughs) What I'm telling you is there's things in Lord of the Rings that are very true of the human condition. Very true of what you and I experience in the real world, just like in Middle Earth, human condition, power, the reality of evil those are real, true things. So the scriptures are all forts, all you know, full of all sorts of genres of literature. The point is, what type of literature am I reading? Because this is a library. So I want to encourage you with that as we start off. Um, The second one is this, if we can get the second point up. The Bible is both divine and, did I miss something? Okay. The Bible is is both divine and human. Now, if someone could grab me a glass of water, maybe. This will be on the podcast. Thank you. Um, I'm losing it up here. Um, it's divine in that God is behind each word and each phrase. I just want you to hear that. Some of you are nervous about um, the literary part. God is behind each word and each phrase. In fact, we get this from Jesus when Jesus is talking about, hey, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come, that, and, and no, no phrase or stroke of the pen will ever diminish or be taken away until it's all fulfilled. I mean, Jesus had this high view of Scripture. Jesus also talked about the Scriptures cannot be broken. 2 Timothy 3.16, this is that letter to Timothy, goes like this, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. We talked about this Oh, a solo cup. Wow. Really? Where did this come from? <laughs> um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. God breathed. This is a Greek word. Theopos. Theo, it's a Greek word, <laughs> and it's usually translated as "inspired." This idea of inspired—that's where we get some of this. Um, not inspiring. Not like Scripture is supposed to just inspire you, like like some Instagram little quotes, you know. Oh, I'm inspired. Listen to what N.T. Wright says about inspiration. He says this. Inspiration is a shorthand way of talking about the belief that by his spirit, God guided the very different writers and editors so that the books they produced were books God intended his people to have. More literally, this word God breathed, okay, This God breathed out God like, and this goes back to the creation story that God spoke and then breathed into humanity. Okay, breathed into Adam, this idea that that is the creative act. Peter talks about this in his letter. He says this in 2 Peter 1. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture, think of that as a book of the Bible, came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy, the writing of the Bible, never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, the writers of the Bible, though human, spoke from God as if they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when you read this library of writings, you are reading the words of God. Let that sink in. Tomorrow morning when you brew up a little cup of coffee or when you're able to sneak some time, maybe when you get um, a little notification about your next scripture reading on your phone, whatever that is, remember that this is, you are reading the words of God. But they're both divine and human. Human. So we got to wrestle with that tension a little bit too. You are reading the words of God and you're also reading the words of Moses, David, Luke. And you also need to know that like I shared a couple weeks ago, the these writers, we don't believe it is not the it's never been the orthodox view of scripture that these writers were like in some sort of a trance like their eyes rolled back in their head, you know, kind of a horror movie thing, and they're just like, mm. <laughs> that that's not the orthodox view of how scripture came together. You have real human beings that God uses, and, and it's amazing that God always works through free-thinking, intelligent, rational, relational, creative beings to do anything. God breathed out and inspired it through human beings. God did not erase their personalities. He did not erase their intellect or their vocabulary or their stage of life or their personal experience. Think about it. When you read Paul, Paul is like genius and he's a little snarky. Like some of you like, I don't know if I like Paul. I do. He's a little snarky. Uh, Ezekiel. Have you guys ever read Ezekiel? Dude's imagination is nuts. (laughs) Mark. We just finished the Gospel of Mark. It took us a while. We finished it last spring. Mark is like one of those people that after a church gathering like ours would probably not like, he would not like surface level conversations. He is like to the point Succinct, out the door. (laughs) Luke is this lawyer meticulously writing and researching everything. They're all different. So when God inspired the writers of the Bible, he gave ample room for each of their personalities. And guess what? That's beautiful. That is super great. That is really encouraging. Because what that doesn't say is like, oh, okay, this is all just like golden tablets dropped from the sky, which we'll get into. The model I tend to lean into when I wrestle with this idea of God wrote it and humans wrote it is this idea of the incarnation. And all throughout church history, um, at the center of everything we believe as followers of Jesus, is the incarnation, is the infleshing of God in Jesus, God with us. The ancient orthodox and historic faith, fully God, fully human. It's our belief. It's the incarnation. Now, we've all struggled with this as human beings. Throughout history, we've struggled with it. We struggle with it because it's like, okay, how can God be human? How can God be fully human? How could God be fully human and fully God? One of the views that um, people have thought about throughout church history is uh, is kind of an errant view, is this whole idea of God and a bod. And, uh, and it's a slang term, but slang phrase, but... That, that Jesus was just faking his humanity, like he just put on, like, we won't get into it. And then, and then, uh, and then some people believe that he was 99% God, but just like a, no, 99% human, but just like a little taste of the divine. Jesus is the orthodox faith view, is that Jesus is divinity fully, and humanity fully existing in the same place. In the same way, the Bible is divine and human. The Spirit of God himself and Moses and David and Paul, both and. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with. One of our values at the church, I'm going to just throw this on the screen, is We value the tension and mystery inherent in faith. And we look for God to move in often surprising ways. We value that we just have to embrace the tension of Scripture. And if we don't read this with tension, we end up with that golden tablet's view. And the golden tablet's view, this idea that they just dropped out of heaven... And someone found them. Sound familiar? Now, um, someone found them. But many believe this in some way, even in the Christian faith. And the problem is, is if you believe that version, that they are perfect, there's no, there's no weirdness, there's no things we don't understand. It's all perfect. We read it at face value, and it just comes down to us is that if you, if you graduate high school and go off to college and your Bible is lit professor, and if you have that belief, your Bible is lit professor will just start poking holes in that. For instance, Psalm 148. It is beautiful. Go read this. It's creation worshiping God. But the last line of it goes like this, you waters above the sky. Now, I'm going to throw something on the screen that's interesting. This is ancient Jewish cosmology. So if you were an ancient Hebrew, this is what you thought the world looked like in your imagination. And you weren't alone, Babylonians, Egyptians, flat Earth. Hell, right below the crust there. Columns of the earth, pillars of the earth. You'll read in Psalm things like pillars of the Pillars of the Heavens holding up. When you hear when you read some of the Psalms, open up your floodgates, right? These little hatch doors. And so when, when the Hebrew is, uh, is writing this worship, he's saying, water's above the sky. You, water's above the sky. Well, if you read the Bible at face value, this is going to be a tricky one for you. But if you write it as beautiful Hebrew worship language, if you read it as beautiful Hebrew worship language, it does something different, right? Right? So if you have a view that it's golden tablets and we read it literally and everything's, you know, as face value as what it is, you're going to spend your whole life doing a whack-a-mole on things that come up that make you uncomfortable, that don't fit your modern scientific understanding. All right? And this is beautiful because it's since it's divine and human, This idea that God humbles himself. I mean, God humbles himself and decides to to write this story through human beings. I love that. It's like Philippians 2, that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death for us. That God actually wants to communicate to us through human beings beings, I think is just so beautiful. God meets us right where we're at and takes us forward in the story. Third phrase is this. The Bible tells a unified story. The Bible is a story. I'm going to throw a little pie chart up for you. This is three major types of literature in the Bible. Narrative, which is story. Poetry, there's a lot of poetry, and discourse or teaching. These would be like the Sermon on the Mount or the Ten Commandments or some of those things. Now, um, most of the Bible is not. Just if you're new to the Bible, most of the Bible is not do this, don't do this. Just want to get that out there. Most of the Bible is not that. It's embedded in what scholars call a meta-narrative, an overarching story of the human condition of who God is and who we are. For example, before you even get to the laws, all the commandments, the 613 Jewish Torah laws, there are 60 chapters of story. Jacob, Joseph, the Exodus. So when we read the scriptures as a story, is the best way to deal with all the, the idea of contradictions and weird things that are in the Bible. So if you read it as a story, and if you read it as literature, Literarily, not as literature as it's made up, but if you read it as a, as literarily, you're gonna, you're gonna come out in better shape. For example, Star Wars. Can we just? We've talked about Lord of the Rings. Let's move to Star Wars. In Star Wars, hands down, the best movie is The Empire Strikes Back. It's not up for debate. In The Empire Strikes Back, Luke is being trained by Yoda in the Dagobah system. And Luke says, you're not ready to face Vader. Oh, no, sorry. They, uh, Yoda says that to him. You, Luke, are not ready to face Vader. But in Return of the Jedi, what does Yoda tell Luke? You must face Vader. Vader. Is this a contradiction? In Star Wars canon? No, it's just the next part of the story, right? Star Wars? No? You hate Star Wars? Just get out. (laughs) There's two doors there. There's one that goes straight outside, and there's one that goes downstairs and then outside. Just kidding, Sadie. I love you. (laughs) But I'd love you more if you watched Star Wars. Um, (laughs) Scripture does the same thing. As followers of Jesus, we don't keep the food laws. Some of you might actually eat shellfish today. It's okay. You might, like, what is the deal with ham at Easter? How un-Jewish is that? (laughs) Why would you stick it to the Jewish people and eat ham? Listen to what Paul says, why followers of Jesus do not keep or adhere to food laws. Listen to this. I know I'm going long. i got to wrap this up. Before the coming of this faith, the gospel of Jesus, we, and he's talking to the Jews, were held in custody under the law locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Do you know what that word guardian actually translates as? Nanny. He's like, you have a nanny. It was the law. The law was your nanny helping you grow up. But now you don't need a nanny anymore because of Jesus. He said, now that Jesus has come, we don't need a nanny anymore. It's kind of like this. When our kids were little, we had family rules. One of the rules was no lying. One of the rules was bed by eight. Eight. The no-lying one still works pretty well. Like, it's still like, let's shoot for that. The bed-by-eight one has just kind of gone away, right? That's the kind of idea here. Good for a time, then it becomes a ba- Actually, a bed-by-eight now would probably be a bad thing. But before, these laws kept Israel separate from other nations in order to draw out the Messiah for Israel. Now, in the wake of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, we are supposed to go into the nations and assimilate into the nations to be temples and priests of the good news of Jesus. Do you see how the story is different, changed, beautiful? The scriptures are an overarching story. Tim Keller writes this, the reason for our confusion is that we usually read the Bible as a series of disconnected stories, each with a moral for how we live our lives. It is not. Rather, it comprises one single story telling us how the human race got into its present condition and how God through Jesus Christ has become and will will come to put things right. Final thing is this. The Bible leads us to Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Now, I want to clear this up, though. Not every page says Jesus on it. Okay? Um, And it's not an allegory like, oh, this was Jesus. No. there's, There's some beautiful pictures in here that I think point to Jesus. And we need to understand that and get our heads around that. So let me just, I want to reread the passage from the beginning. And I want to read this over you. And let this be an encouragement to you. Because Jesus says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is actually telling some very religious people who love the scriptures that they lost the plot line. He's like, this, there's no eternal life in here. If you master this, you don't get eternal life. You don't decode this and find your way in. He's like, this points to me. See, guys, I think that the worst thing that can happen is that we could become some cold, mean Bible nerds. It's like the worst thing that could happen. Like, you could know this library and not know Jesus. And here's the reality. You probably know someone who's never read this, and they're more like Jesus than some people who have. So I just want to recap this phrase The Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human, that together tell a unified story which leads us to Jesus. Here's the reality anybody can pick this up, I believe and read it and get something out of it. And and you might be confused in different places, but I think that there's something beautiful about God meeting us when we do that. And you could spend the rest of your life studying this and not get to the bottom of it. Now, my journey around the Bible for me personally um, was heavily influenced by a little Christian school I went to um, when I was a kid. And as I've been thinking back, I mean, my parents are awesome, but they weren't the kind of parents that were like, okay, gather around, we're going to do a Bible study. On, you know, they weren't like that. Um, that wasn't. They were busy. They, we were family. They were normal people. Um, but, but this little Christian school had a huge influence on how I thought and approached the Bible. And this little Christian school was uh, kind of a golden tablets view of the Bible. Uh, in church tradition, it's called Biblicism or... Um, it's like this, you know, the Encyclopedia of Truth, Timeless Owner's Manual for Life kind of thing. And the problem is that the Bible doesn't always behave that way. It just doesn't. And I'm going to just tell you, as a pastor, as someone who's studied the Bible, I've gone to seminary, I've done all those things, I still have these things in me that I'm trying to unlearn. Not that I'm trying to unlearn loving the Bible, I'm trying to unlearn how, as a little kid, I was formed to read it. One of the things that is one of the things I struggle with, you remember the questions I said, if you have questions about the Bible, submit them anonymously, please do so. Here's mine. One of the biggest things I struggle with with the Bible is the violence in the Old Testament and Jesus. I'm just being honest. It's like, that's the one. And I've had a couple conversations with people this week about that. Like, let's talk about Jericho. And let's talk about how horrible VeggieTales is on its, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) Watch the VeggieTales. And you're like, what? Um, Jericho, like, just genocide. And then Jesus tells us to love our enemies and turn the other cheek and, okay, okay. So how do I do this? How, this is one meta-narrative. This is one story of God's love for humanity and his rescue mission for us and all that kind of stuff. Like, How do I deal with that tension? I've been reading and reading, and I know this. I know there's some things I can't set aside, and there's some things that I, there's so much there. There's so much. I'm reading stacks of stuff, things like that. But here's my answer for you. I don't know. I'm working on it. I'm thinking it through. I'm wrestling it out. I'm listening to stuff. I'm but I, but I love Jesus. So, relearning the Bible from the ground up. I'm devoted to teaching this book, this library, sorry. I'm committed to reading it and letting it form me. I'm committed to letting it lead me to Jesus. I'm committed that it will lead you to Jesus. So tomorrow morning, I'm I'm just, if you haven't been in the Bible in a while, I would just encourage you to read Psalm 1. Just wake up, read it slowly. Shoot your questions out to me, to us. Uh, What's ahead for us as a church after this series? We're gonna unpack a little bit of a letter to the church in Rome. It'll be fun. Uh, There's another book. Here's Eugene Peterson. He has a book called Eat This Book, and it's about Scripture. In fact, it's a conversation in the art of spiritual reading. It's not long. I mean, it's 150 pages. This will be so helpful for some of you when you're looking at the Bible. This is a lot of things that I've tried to synthesize even today. But the last thing I would just share with you is this. Tomorrow night, um, I'm going to just be here at 630 if you want to have conversation about the Bible. If you're confused on something I said tonight, today, tonight, what? Um, if you're confused on, I'm confused. <laughs> if you're confused on the Bible, if you want to just have a conversation, because this is like weird lecture format. This is going to be, let's sit around in a circle and have a chat. Jesus, after one of his hard teachings, said, as people were leaving, people were abandoning him, he turned to his disciples and he said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter, Peter responded with this. He said, where would we go? Where would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so I want to pray that as we head to the communion table, okay? God, this morning, I know that many of us in this room have different backgrounds, a lot of information today. But I think about those words of Jesus. Are you going to leave me too? And then Peter responded, Where would we go? God, so many times I've been in those shoes of Peter. Where would I go? There are hard things to wrestle with on these pages. But where would I go? Everywhere I look, there doesn't seem to be satisfactory answers to the question of life and the human condition. In Peter's words, are you alone have the words of eternal life? Not, not just this book, but you, Jesus. you alone have the words of eternal life? And it's something to continue to trust. Help us do that. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Guys, this morning we're going to come to the table. The literal words of Jesus. When you gather, remember and come. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for you. This is what is about to happen. And his disciples passed the bread and they passed the cup and they were around a table. And for a a couple thousand years now, followers of Jesus have gathered around a table and passed that bread and passed that wine and passed that juice together to participate in the story, in the grand story of what God is doing And this is our opportunity to do that together. This is why we set aside time to do that. So this morning, come when you're ready. There is gluten-free. And there's bread. And there is juice. Come when you're ready. And participate.